Suppose a woman you know starts going around and telling everyone that she is in a romantic relationship with Justin Bieber. Okay? Just roll with me. I know it's weird. Just roll with me here for a sec. She's talking about how in love they are and all the promises that he's made to her. And you're like, okay, cool, cool. But what makes you think that the Biebs is in love with you? Where does that come from? And she says, oh, I can prove it to you. She pulls out her phone. She opens the Instagram app and she shows you this post. She starts to read to you the caption, which says this from Justin Bieber. To my beloved birthday squish, my heart belongs to you, my eyes belong to you, my lips belong to you, I am yours. I'm so blessed to be yours, you are mine forever. Life has never made more sense until you became my wife. I will never stop loving you, never stop holding you, never stop protecting you. You are more than enough for me, and I will spend every day making you feel like the queen that you are. Fellas, take notes. Your boy can write some poetry. I'm not going to lie about it. That's pretty good, all right? Now, suppose she said, see, look at all the wonderful things he said to me. You'd say, oh, girl, he didn't write that to you. Justin doesn't even know you exist. That was very obviously written towards his wife, Haley. He even tagged her in the post. You can't take words that were written to somebody else and then claim them as your own. Are you with me? If we saw somebody doing that in the world today, taking something that was written to somebody else and then claiming that love letter as their own, we would say they need to go see a counselor. And yet, Christians do that every single day with the Bible. Every single day, we take words, promises that were made to other people in a different culture at a different time, and we just say, we claim them. That's me. He's talking about me there. That's my promise. Those are my words. And we take commands that were given to different people in different cultures at different times and places in the world. And we just uncritically assume that because they're in the Bible, they should be enforced today as if they were, you know, written to all of us in the 21st century, right? We read the Bible as if we were the intended audience, as if all the words on this page were written to Daniel in 2022. But listen, that is another example of how not to read the Bible. That's the title of our series, what we're talking about over the next few weeks. We're talking about how not to read the Bible, the unhealthy, unhelpful, even unscriptural ways that we approach the Bible. And this is a great example. Did you know This is going to, some of you are going to question my orthodoxy with this statement. That's okay. I'm going to prove it to you by the time we get done today. Did you know that you are not meant to obey every commandment in the Bible? (laughs) Seriously, there are things written in here that you have no business doing on a day-to-day basis. God does not expect you to do everything that's in here. And again, I want to take this morning to prove it to you. The reason why, and this really comes down to our bottom truth, the bottom line truth. This is the main thing I want you to understand today before we get done, is that the Bible is written for us, but not to us. The Bible is written for us, but the Bible is not written to us. Now, that might sound like a minor distinction, but I can assure you guys, it has massive implications on how we read, interpret, and apply the Bible in our lives in 2022. 100% of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, clear stuff, weird stuff, 100% of the Bible was written for your benefit. 
but 0% of the Bible was written to you as an individual living in Canada in 2020. So what's the difference between that for us or to us? What's the difference and why does it matter? Well, I think if you understand this principle, it'll help you to make sense, particularly out of the hard and weird stuff in the Old Testament, but also some of it in the New Testament. We'll talk about it. The first thing that I want you to consider this morning is that every single verse in the Bible, every book in the library, as we talked about last week, was written by a person to a person or a group of people, right? We told you last week, the Bible didn't just float out of heaven in fully complete form and boom, here is the Bible, obey it or die. It, it, that's not how it came about. It had an author and it had an audience. Every single bit of the scripture was written by a real person that lived at some point and place in history. And it was written to someone or a group of someones who also lived at some point or place in history. I can give you some examples here. I've got a, a few of them that we'll put on the screen. So for example, the third account of the life of Jesus is often called the book of Luke or the gospel according to Luke. And that's because the author of that document was a guy named Luke, pretty straightforward. Now, if you pay close attention in the book of Luke and also in the book of Acts, what you'll find out is that he wrote this down for the benefit of one particular man, a man named Theophilus. I got to tell you guys, Theophilus is a strong name, okay? That is legit. We don't hear too many Theophiluses, Theophili. We don't hear too many of those in today's world, but I just think it's a strong name. If you are having a kid anytime soon, just consider it. That's all I'm saying. It's a good one, all right? Nobody will spell it right, but it's a good one. We actually have a Theo in our church, and I was like, oh, dang, what if Theo is short for Theophilus? So I went and looked, and it's short for Theodore, which is still good, but not quite as good in my mind as Theophilus. Anyway, third gospel written by a dude named Luke to another dude, singular individual named Theophilus. Now we've got the epistles. Those are letters. That's a fancy word for letters that were written by Paul. He's the author. And they were addressed to a series of churches. So they weren't written to one single person like Luke was. Instead, they're written to churches. It would be a little bit like me standing up and saying, I want to read you a letter to connect church. That's what Paul's epistles are like. Now the book of Genesis, the first one in the Bible was written by Moses, but it was actually written for the benefit of the entire nation of Israel. Then we could take a book like Psalms, and it was written by David, who was a poet and eventually a king, and they were actually not addressed to anybody in particular. It was like his personal diary. He wrote poetry and Psalms because he was that kind of dude, and then eventually after he died, somebody's like, hey, this is good stuff. Let's publish it and start singing it in church, and that's what happened. So the point here is that every single part of the Bible had an author and an audience. There was someone who wrote it, and there was someone who was supposed to receive it. So if you want to rightly understand the Bible, you cannot divorce the original author and audience. You have to consider that when you're reading the scripture. So let me give you a specific example of how this might play out. Our intro video a moment ago referenced Leviticus chapter number 19, verse 28, which says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks upon yourself. It's right there in the book of Leviticus. Now, if we ignore the original audience and the original author, we don't even take any of that into account, then this just becomes universal command for all people at all times in all places. And some of you have actually heard this verse taught that way. Your grandma was like, you know, the Bible says you can't get a tattoo, right? <laughs> Apparently your grandmother's Southern. Anyway, <laughs> 
But seriously, some people look at this and they're like, it couldn't be any clearer. God settled it. That settled it. Thou shalt not get a half sleeve. If you don't consider who wrote it, why they wrote it, and who they were writing to, then it is. It's just a command for all people. But if you start to take into account those other factors, you get a different picture of what's going on here. So what is the book of Leviticus? We talked a little bit about this last week. Leviticus is a series of laws that God gave to the ancient Israelites after they escaped from slavery in Egypt. So they had been enslaved for a long time in Egypt. Then there's the whole showdown with Pharaoh. Moses is like, let my people go, parting of the Red Sea. And they're headed towards the promised land and they are going to establish themselves for the very first time as their own nation. So God gives them, through Moses, a a set of rules that are designed for a specific purpose. And the purpose is this. As they move into the promised land, they are going to be surrounded by two, in particular, pagan cultures. Two cultures that do not worship Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And so as a result, God says, I want you to be very careful that when you move into their neighborhood, you don't start acting like they act. I don't want you to befriend them. I don't want you to marry them. I don't want you to start worshiping the way that they worship because they worship false gods. And so God gives them a series of rules that are designed to keep them separate and distinct from the pagan cultures that are around them. I'll show you a few other examples. These are kind of fun. Let's put them here on the screen. Also from Leviticus chapter number 19. This one verse has all three of these commands. It's pretty crazy. Do not mate two different kinds of animals together. That's a rule in the Old Testament. I don't know what the Israelites were doing on the weekends, but God was like, don't do it, okay? (laughs) Do not plant a field with two different kinds of seed. And do not wear clothing with two different kinds of material. Now, look, this seems very arbitrary. Like, why doesn't God want us to make a liger? Because those things are rad, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Why can't I plant a garden that has carrots and cabbage in it at the same time? Why can't I wear a shirt that's made out of cotton and polyester, like if I'm alive in the 70s? Why is it that I'm not supposed to do these sorts of things? What is the common denominator between all of these verses? Not mixing two sorts of things, keeping them separate and distinct from one another. So this is all symbolism. These are rules that the Israelites are supposed to follow that reinforce the idea, the real command behind all of this, that they are not supposed to be like the other cultures that are around them. This is where, in this context, we get this uh, verse that says, do not tattoo yourselves. Because in those days, the Egyptians and the Canaanites made two things a part of their worship, of their false gods. The first was tattoos. So they would tattoo all of these symbols all over themselves and it was a way of communicating with the dead and honoring their different gods and things. And then they would also participate in something called body scarification. They would literally cut themselves up so that it would develop all of these crazy scars. And that was a way of showing your devotion to these false gods that you were worshiping. And so God says, I don't want my people to follow the patterns and customs of these surrounding communities and cultures who do not honor me. So what we see here is that God is not opposed to people getting a tattoo. That's not the point. God is opposed to people worshiping false gods. That is what's really going on here in this particular verse. It's symbolism. This verse doesn't prevent Christians from getting tattoos. It prevents ancient Jews from getting tattoos. Are any of you ancient Jews? Then this verse is not written to you. It's written to somebody else, okay? And by the way, If anybody ever, like maybe 
you know, I don't know, somebody in your life who's very religious, they quote this verse to you and they're like, the Bible says you cannot get tattoos. It's right there in Leviticus, okay? Chapter number 19, verse, what is it, 27, 28, whatever it is. If anybody ever quotes that to you, ask them if they also follow the verse right before that one. The verse right before that actually has this command. Do not, can we put that on the screen? Do not cut the hair at the side of your head nor clip the edges of your beard. Then the next verse is, do not get tattoos. And the next verse is, don't be mating different animals together. Okay, all of these are in a line together, essentially. All right, we know that this verse doesn't apply to Christians. That's why we don't walk around looking like Hasidic Jews. You ever seen, like there's a picture and they've got this big bushy David Roman style beard. And then they've got these curls that come down. David's missing the curls. I think he'd look good with them. But anyway, like you see, they are literally following that verse. Now, every Christian In 2020, except for maybe like the Seventh-day Adventists, every Christian would be like, that verse doesn't apply to us. That's to a different culture, different people at a different time. So watch this now. If we're consistent in the way that we read and interpret the Bible, we can't say that verse 27 applies to us and verse 28 doesn't or vice versa. Either they were written to a specific people at a specific time or they are binding on absolutely everyone. And since we don't believe one is, we could probably safely say the rest don't as well. Okay. So are we saying then that basically you are not on the hook for any rule in the Old Testament? You don't have to do anything the Old Testament says. Don't follow any of those laws. You can just safely ignore them. Not exactly, because Leviticus chapter number 19, verse 29 says, do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute. Okay, hello, there are some Old Testament verses that still need to be in effect in 2022. So it's a little more nuanced. There's a little bit more work that needs to be done here. It's not merely that no Old Testament verses apply. It's that most Old Testament verses don't apply. Some still will. Now, um, the other thing we want to keep in mind here is in Matthew chapter number five, verse 17, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I didn't come to like get rid of the Old Testament so you guys don't even have to read it anymore. No, he said, I came to accomplish their purpose. So even though the Old Testament's full of weird stuff and it's full of a lot of rules that you actually don't even have to follow anymore, we can't just ignore the Old Testament because you can't understand the new without understanding the old. All right, in two weeks, we're gonna talk about how all of scripture, even that weird stuff in the Old Testament, points towards Jesus. But there are 613 commands in the Old Testament, 613 rules that people had to follow in the Old Testament. Some of them were civil, some were moral, some were ceremonial. How do we know in 2022 which of those hundreds of commands we're supposed to follow? Well, there's a pretty easy hack, and this is not going to satisfy 100% of the um, you know, circumstances or issues, but it'll help with a bunch of them. Really easy hack. How do I know which Old Testament rules I'm still supposed to follow? Ask yourself, what does the New Testament say about this Old Testament rule? What does the New Testament say about this Old Testament rule? Because the New Testament will actually give you instructions on most of what you find in the New Testament. We might phrase it like this. Old Testament commands are always read in light or interpreted in light of New Testament teaching. Okay? So if you come across something in the Old Testament, you're like, this is weird. This is confusing. What am I supposed to do here? How do I read and understand this? Look at what the New Testament says. So a really good and fun example of this is Acts chapter number 15. Okay? Acts chapter number 15 is a huge debate, discussion, fight that broke out in the early church, the first century church, about a commandment that was given in Genesis chapter number 17. Let me me show you this. This is, I, I promise you, this is fun. Genesis chapter number 17, God, through Moses, says that any man who wants to participate in the Old Testament covenant needs to be circumcised. 
Yeah, we're going there. Needs to be circumcised or they cannot have a relationship with God. This is like, even today, for uh, observant Jews, this is still something that they practice. So for thousands of years, any man that wanted to have a relationship with God needed to have the old snip-snip to come to church. So in the first century, there is this discussion and debate that boils up in which Christians are asking themselves, just how Jewish are we? (laughs) Because like Jesus was a Jew and our roots are in the Old Testament, but then like Jesus came and he inaugurated this new covenant. So how much of the Old Testament are we still supposed to follow? And there were people in the church, probably women, and they started saying, in order to come to church, in order to be a part of God's family, men, you need to, okay? I doubt any men men were advocating for that. So there was this big discussion and debate. Is that required? Do you need to become Jewish in order to become Christian? And so there is, like it's the second business meeting the early church ever had. There's a lot of back and forth and debate and discussion both ways. And then finally, James, who wrote the book of James, brother of Jesus, and he was the leader of the original church. He says, basically, after all of this debate and discussion happens, he says, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In short, you don't have to get circumcised in order to belong to Jesus. And all the men said, amen. (laughs) Paul goes on to say, look, it doesn't matter what's going on physically with your body. What matters is what's going on spiritually with your heart. So you see, we look at something weird from the Old Testament and we interpret it based on what the New Testament says. Let me give you a few more examples. We'll move through these pretty quick. Basically, the New Testament will do one of four things with laws from the Old Testament. One of four things will happen. So the first is the New Testament might repeal the Old Testament law. Okay? It might be an Old Testament law that existed in the New Testament. It's like, no, you don't have to do that anymore. So here's an example. In Leviticus chapter number 11, verse 27, uh, the, the Bible prohibits believers from eating pork. They couldn't have bacon, you guys. How do you have a good breakfast if you're not allowed to have bacon? The Jews were not allowed to have bacon. But if you jump ahead to the New Testament, Acts chapter number 10, you find out that Peter has a vision in which God says, don't call anything that God has created unclean eat whatever you want. You can eat pork, you can eat shellfish. All of the Old Testament dietary restrictions are over. It has been repealed because of the new covenant. So sometimes the New Testament will repeal the laws from the Old Testament. Other times the New Testament will ignore the laws of the Old Testament. Now, I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that it's like, oh, it's not important, so we don't even talk about it or think about it anymore. But essentially, the New Testament does not address some of the things that were rules and commandments in the Old Testament. So here's a really good example. In Deuteronomy chapter number 22, verse 8, there is a law that told the ancient Israelites, when you are building a house, you have to build a railing or a parapet around the roof of your house so that in case somebody ever goes up on your roof, they don't actually fall off and die and then you're responsible because of your negligence. That's a rule from the Old Testament. But nobody's walking around today saying like, when you build a house, you better put a railing up there. Nobody's doing that, why? Because if you read the New Testament, it's not even mentioned doesn't talk about it at all. So anytime we see an Old Testament law that is not mentioned in the New Testament, we can safely assume that that was probably a civil or a ceremonial law for a group of people that no longer exist, and it's not binding on us. This is also why I would argue it doesn't really matter if you get a tattoo in 2022 or not, because the New Testament doesn't address this, never talks about tattoos. There are some verses talk about being, your body being a temple, and you could kind of try to make that be a tattoo verse if you want to, but that's not what it's talking about in context. So sometimes 
Oftentimes, the Bible will repeal Old Testament laws. Sometimes the New Testament will simply ignore them. Oftentimes, they will be restated. Leviticus 19.11, one of the big 10 commandments, thou shalt not steal. And then you read in Ephesians 4.28, it says, do not steal. This is a commandment that is restated or reiterated. So yes, you and I in 2020, as followers of Jesus, we should not be stealing. Then sometimes, Jesus was the master of doing this, Sometimes an Old Testament command is elevated in the New Testament. It's actually made harder instead of being done away with completely. So in Deuteronomy 5, again, another version of the Big Ten, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery with her. Jesus took what the law used to be here, and he was like, whoop, 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 let's ratchet it up. See, in the past, under the old covenant, as long as I didn't physically go sleep with somebody else, then I was on the right side of this rule. But under the new covenant, Jesus says, hey, if you have those thoughts about some other lady, you might as well have already done it. The effect is basically the same. So he has elevated the Old Testament law. We see that we interpret what we read in the Old Testament based on what the New Testament says. We follow what the New Testament tells us to do, and that helps us to make sense out of the confusing stuff in the Old Testament. So, pretty simple, right? All we have to do as Christians today is do what the New Testament says. Maybe some of the Old Testament, but basically it's just repeated in the New, so focus on the New and only do what the New says. It's still a little more nuanced than that. Like, it would be so easy if the Bible just gave us a list of rules and that was it, but it's still a little more nuanced than that. Sometimes we may not follow the literal commandment that's given in the New Testament, but we follow the principle behind the literal commandment. One more example before we're done today. Five times in the New Testament, five separate times, we are commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss. This is not just one time, not even two times, but no less than five times. The Bible says, when you're out in the lobby today, you better be passing out smooches. Aaron Friend tried to kiss me after the first service because of this verse. I'm not even kidding you. And I'm like, bro, we don't do that. Okay, that doesn't apply to us. But it's the New Testament, and Christians are supposed to do what the New Testament says, right? Well, okay, let's think about this. Why does the Bible command that we give one another a holy kiss? Well, because in the first century, kisses were the standard greeting. Like if you go to Europe today, you still might get a kiss on each cheek or whatever it might be. And in the New Testament, everybody kissed everybody as a sign of affection and greeting. And in the 2022, in the modern world, especially in North America, we don't kiss one another. That's how you get a lawsuit, okay? Instead, we shake hands, we do the elbow bump since 2020, whatever it is. The principle behind the precept is that we are supposed to greet one another sincerely and with love. That everybody who comes to church should feel welcomed and feel like they belong. That's the reason that it says to greet one another with a holy kiss. We show our family and spiritual affection to one another. But we don't do that in 2022 with a kiss. We do it with a handshake or a hug or a side hug, if you're that person, whatever it takes. That's what we're supposed to do. So we don't follow the literal commandment. Instead, we practice the principle that is behind the commandment. All right, maybe, guys, you're starting to see that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And when you read a verse in the scripture, you have to consider who wrote it, who were they writing to, and what was the reason for that commandment or that verse in its original context, all right? 
And yes, I got to tell you, it would be easier if we didn't have to do all that work. If God just said, here's all the laws for the Jews, and here's all the laws for the Christians today, that would be easy. But it doesn't work that way. You have to wrestle with the scripture. You have to dig in. It's part of the beauty. It's part of the reason that the Bible has endured for so long, because it's not simply a list of do's and don'ts, thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's complex and it's deep. It's not simple like a child's book. It is something that you have to enter into and engage with and wrestle. That's part of the reason it even exists. So what I want to do then, I understand everything I just gave you is like a lot of information. And I told you last week, this series is going to be more teaching than preaching and all that sort of stuff. But I want to leave you with one principle that flows out of this idea that the Bible is written for us and not to us. Something that you can actually might help you today, tomorrow, this week as you follow Jesus in your life. And that is that it's easier to argue about the controversial verses than it is to live out the clear ones. It's easier to argue about the controversial verses in Scripture than it is to live out the clear ones. Guys, I got to tell you, there is a lot of gray in the Bible. There is a lot that I personally find foreign and confusing and difficult to make sense out of. I have college degrees in the Bible. I've read it multiple times, cover to cover. I've been teaching it as if I understand it for like two decades now. And there are some people that will say, well, you don't understand the Bible because you haven't read it enough. No, I'm telling you, I don't understand the Bible because I've read it enough. The more I read, the more I realize I don't actually know. In 2 Peter chapter number 3, verses 15 and 16, we're not going to put these verses on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. This is written by Peter, okay? It says, our beloved brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. So he's talking about these epistles that we mentioned a moment, ago, a moment ago that Paul wrote, like the letter to the Galatians and Ephesians and Thessalonians. All right. He says, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking uh, of these things in all his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand. I'm so glad that that verse is in there. The Bible acknowledges that some of what's in here is real hard to understand. Peter one of Jesus' original 12, one of the inner circle, the guy who saw him transfigured on a mountaintop, the guy who was probably closer to Christ than anybody else on the planet. He says, yeah, sometimes when I read the letters of Paul, I'm like, what is this guy even talking about right now? That gives me a lot of encouragement because some of the Bible is difficult to read and some of it is controversial. But my fear is, that there are a lot of Christians who would rather argue about these gray, difficult, controversial sections of the Bible than to live out the stuff that's direct, simple, and clear. The stuff that's in there in black and white. Husbands, love your wives. It's not really that hard. It's what the Bible commands you to do. Do not give up gathering yourself together as some people are in the habit of doing. Give to those who ask of you. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Serve God with the talents he's placed in you. Pay your taxes. Guess what? That one's in there. We like to ignore that verse. You don't hear that preached on very often. Pursue peace with everyone to the best of your ability. Do not worry about tomorrow. Focus on what God wants to do for you and through you today. Get baptized. Okay. 
We go on and on and on and on and on. There are so many black and white, simple, direct, clear verses in the scripture. And my fear is that too many Christians in 2022 want to argue about the weird Old Testament stuff. They want to argue about cage stage Calvinism and transubstantiation and infralapsarianism. And yeah, now I'm just showing off. They want to argue about all this disputable and debatable stuff. And at the same time, we're not living out the basics, the clear stuff. And that is a tragedy. And it's part of the reason that the modern world doesn't take us seriously. Because we'd rather get into these ugly arguments on Facebook about stuff that in the end isn't going to change anybody's eternity. So instead of arguing about the controversial stuff, let's focus on living out the clear stuff. I don't want to be the kind of church that's known for, you know, every theological discussion under the sun. I want to be known as a church that actually puts that stuff into practice, that serves one another, that glorifies Jesus, that says my life is not my own. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. The basics of what it means to follow Jesus. That's who we're going to be. So don't get caught up in the weird stuff. There's a time and a place for discussion about the weird stuff. It's called a connect group. We have a lot of fun in those. But the rest of the week, just go live like Jesus. That's what will have the power to change the world. And then there are some of you, and, and you've hesitated to put your faith in Jesus because you're drawn to him because of the stuff you read in the New Testament, but you're real caught up on the stuff that's said or not said in the Old Testament. You're hung there, you're stuck, you can't get past it. And I just wanna challenge you, listen, all of that stuff makes sense when you read it correctly. But don't worry about all of that gray, focus on what's black and white. Jesus says, you need to be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to your heavenly father. And he promises that anyone who comes to him, he will never turn away. So don't fight, don't worry, don't stress, don't freak out about the gray that your college professor brought up a long time ago that you've never been able to answer well. Focus on the words of Christ. That is where God is drawing your heart, your attention, and your focus in the coming days. I told you last week, the Bible is a library. It's not a book. Today, I told you the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Next week, uh, we're gonna talk about the fact that there's no such Woo, there we go. There's no such thing as a Bible verse. They actually don't exist. Somebody just made them up. And that has a lot of implications on how we read scripture too. I want to extend to you today uh, our ongoing Bible reading challenge. You remember last Sunday, I told you guys, hey, we're going to start reading the book of Mark together. We're going to read one chapter every single day. So we started on Monday with chapter one. Some of you guys started on Sunday with chapter one because you're go-getters, way to go. But the whole idea is that we would read seven chapters from the book of Mark by the time we got to today. Anybody accomplish all seven chapters? Maybe even eight? Yeah, a lot of hands. Good for you guys. And then there's some of you and you were like, oh, I started, but I didn't quite get through all seven. I'm actually that way. Yesterday, I don't know what it was. It was like out of habit. I didn't come to my office in the morning, kind of had one of those brain fart moments and I forgot to read my chapter for the day. So today I'm going to double up. I'll get caught up. No big deal. And then there are some of you who are like, I wasn't even here last week. I didn't even know y'all were doing this. That's okay. You can jump in and start now. Go back to chapter number one, start reading one chapter a day. My goal in this series is not to get you to simply understand the Bible. My goal is to get you to fall in love with the Bible, to see that it has the wisdom you need to live your life every single day, to be the person that God created you to be in the first place. But in order to live it, you got to read it. And in order to read it, you need to understand it the way that he intended. 